0: At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insights from around the world directly to you. Hello, listeners. Welcome to our latest episode of Deep Dive with the Schmidt Ocean Institute. I'm Tony Zhou, a Longitude Fellow from Yale University. Throughout this series, we've spoken with many incredible members of the Schmidt Ocean Institute, a nonprofit organization that conducts scientific marine expeditions, from business operations. To data analytics, engineering, and robotics, the Schmidt Ocean Institute has joined the United Nations Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development, a global pledge of mapping the entire seabed by 2030. Over the past decade, the Institute's research vessel, Falkor, has mapped over 1.25 million miles of the ocean floor, hosted more than a thousand scientists on nearly 80 expeditions, and discovered countless new species and deep-sea bathymetry. Today, we are featuring conversational highlights I shared with Dr. Jyotika Vermani, the Executive Director of the Schmidt Ocean Institute. When not at the helm of advancing the frontiers of global marine research, Jyotika enjoys her spare time as an award-winning science fiction film producer and writes a humorous informational Tropical Storm blog.
1: My role here uh, is to oversee the whole enterprise. So not just the operations at sea, but we also have a very robust communications uh, department as well. Um, We're really um, building up and developing our data work. uh, And we also work with scientists in bringing them on board the vessel. And so there's a lot of things that are going on. So my role is to generally oversee all of the different moving parts and make sure it's all moving in unison okay
0: so would would you be able to tell our listeners how you I guess became involved with the Schmidt Ocean Institute or more or less like where you started originally um, with your education and the sort of that path that led you to where you are now
1: I'm from the United Kingdom and so I actually grew up uh interested in space and astronomy and living in the UK one of our big topics of conversation is the weather and so I really got into the ocean through weather and climate and understanding our weather and climate system on the planet and the ocean is a huge component of that. So I have a PhD in physical oceanography and a master's in atmospheric science and so that's Really, the two big components for our that control our weather and climate as far as the Earth ecosystem is concerned, with the sun providing energy from outside. So, with my PhD, I uh, have done a few jobs since then. I was associate director for the Florida Institute of Oceanography, uh, where we operated research vessels, as well as the Keys Marine Lab. I, I worked in the UK Met Office which is a government entity based in the UK. And it's like the National Weather Service in the US. So I've worked for government. Florida Institute of Oceanography was very much academia. And then I worked also for an organization called XPRIZE, which is we used to run large uh, international competitions for development of technologies Mm -hmm. to really address some of the world's grand challenges. And so I was involved in the Ocean Technology Development projects, prizes, and competitions. And these are multi-million dollar competitions. So, and they're global, they're international. So I was involved in the Wendy Schmidt Ocean Health X Prize, which was to develop pH sensors. So teams from around the world competed to develop pH sensors to measure ocean acidification changes. We know, you know, the climate's changing, it's impacting the ocean. We didn't have the technology back then to easily measure those changes, and now we do. I also led the Shell Ocean Discovery Prize, which was for teams to develop technology to map the seafloor Quickly uh, at scale. And now we're on a track, uh, along with a number of other partners around the world, towards a project called Seabed 2030, which means to map the seafloor by 2030 at a high resolution. Before we launched this competition, which was in 2015, the estimate was it would take two to 300 years to do this. So it's really pushing that technology forward. So, and that was a nonprofit. So I've had experience in different arenas. XPRIZE prize was my last job before uh, I took this one.
0: Yeah, I, I saw the video um, of the talk that you gave for X-Prize uh, on YouTube. Um, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> it's, it's
0: really interesting. Um, the Longitude series, our, our podcast series, at least this season, uh, we've been interviewing a lot of um, professionals in the field of uh, oceanography and space. And there's a lot of parallel between uh, the, the tech that is needed to to do the explorations in ocean and space. Would you say that ocean mapping is probably, if not considered, the biggest challenge uh, right now in ocean research, or are there other...
1: There's a few big challenges, and technology is certainly helping us to overcome them because the ocean is so difficult to access and it's Mm -hmm. not transparent. To me, mapping the seafloor is fundamental because... When you have a map of a place, you have a fundamental understanding of where you are uh, and it just, you know, grounds you kind of. So you know where things are. But the other big challenge is, you know, what's the biodiversity in the ocean? So the ocean encompasses about 95% of the living space on this planet. So if you imagine all the land masses, you know, and the mountains and the forests and the rivers and everything above and all the atmosphere, that's just 5% of this planet's living space. And it's just mind-boggling to think of that. So there's a lot of biodiversity we don't really right. even know exists right yeah. now.
0: Right. So would you say, like, the current data, at least, that, that we have might even be a little biased because we we haven't explored sort of the depths and the sort of the vastness of of everything that's out there in the ocean.
1: The current data that we have about the ocean is definitely biased. And if you look at history, it's always been that way in the old days. You know, people used to think that there was absolutely nothing below the top, you know, meters of the ocean and then someone found something deeper and you know technology allowed us to go deeper and um and then they realized there's actually an ecosystem down there and we've got now down to the sea floor you know on average four and a half thousand meters below the sea surface level but then the next question is what's underneath that as well so yeah we're, we're really uh very very limited in our knowledge
0: right In addition to ocean mapping, what are some of the other projects that uh, the Schmidt Ocean Institute is involved
1: in? We're actually at an interesting phase uh, at the Schmidt Ocean Institute. We've developed a new strategic framework since I came on board, and we've also actually uh, we're transitioning vessels. So, the vessel that we were using for the last ten or so years, the Falcor, is we're, we're uh, shifting from that vessel to a much larger vessel that we acquired in March of 2021, mm-hmm. Falcor Two. So we're going to be moving to that larger vessel. And the kind of work that we do, we invite scientists from around the world to come and, you know, bring their projects. Uh, we have a proposal process, uh, review process, and it varies from um, mapping the seafloor to assessing the biodiversity. We've had projects that look at the sea surface layer uh, using drones even above water drones to really, you know, use cameras to look at the sea surface layer and to look at harmful algal blooms. Um, we've had scientists who look at hydrothermal vents, which is an entirely fascinating and different kind of ecosystem, and look at the chemical composition and health of the ocean as well. So it's really a range of scientific activities, but we also support technology development. So for marine technology development um, for those working in marine technology to test new and innovative sensors, to test new and innovative technologies. Uh, So last year, we tested uh, uh, some really, really interesting uh, underwater technology that basically uses a laser, a light beam and so a jellyfish, for example, could swim through that and you get a, like a 3D scan of what the yeah. composition of the jellyfish is. Part of the problem is the, some of these creatures are so delicate, mm-hmm. it's hard to bring them to the surface uh, without damaging them uh, to really study them. And so being able to study things underwater in situ is really important, as wow. technology was.
0: That's really cool. That's like... That kind of reminds me of like holograms and body scans. Uh, (laughs) So would you say then you're more involved in the, uh, I guess, like the science and the research side or uh, the the financial side, or do you balance both? Um, And depending on that, what are some things that you consider when assembling effective teams for these projects or to surround yourself with?
1: So the Schmidt Ocean Institute is more involved in science, pushing on the science, um, technology development, and critically, the open sharing of data is very important to our mission because... You know, we believe the faster you can share data, the faster discoveries are made and the faster action can be taken. So we offer this research vessel and a high-performance computing system. We have a very sophisticated underwater robot, all of that at no cost to scientists. And that's where the philanthropy, you know, really comes in and supports that because it's quite expensive to go to sea. Uh, And in exchange, we ask that they make their data quickly available, openly available as fast as they can in that spirit of open data sharing. So that's the Schmidt Ocean Institute. Me personally, I uh, look at the science, uh, but I also look, of course, at the, the finance. I, um, you know, sometimes work with the communications team on messaging. I talk to our data systems architect on data topics. So really, I do a variety of things. Mm-hmm. We have partnerships and collaborations with other entities uh, across the US as well as across the world. So we're a partner in the UN decade. Uh, We're actually an Ocean Decade Alliance member. uh, And Wendy Schmidt is a patron of the Ocean Decade. And so this is the UN has designated this next decade, 2021 to 2030, as a decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development Goals. So we're a partner there. We're a partner with CBED 2030. Um, So we have a number of partnerships and uh, collaborations.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very interesting. What are some things in the project that have been accomplished which you didn't necessarily expect uh, (laughs) along the way?
1: So I joined right when the pandemic started. Uh, So before I joined, we had laid out the expeditions, you know, brilliant people that work at Schmidt Ocean Institute had mapped out what 2020, what 2021 would look like as far as expeditions. And of course, with the pandemic, all of that changed. And so we we were fortunate in that we were off the coast of Australia when it really came about. But... One of the things that I worked on uh, with the team here is to make sure that we continue to do safe operations at sea throughout the whole pandemic. So we continued operations, but it meant that we had to do a lot of pivots uh, and changing of plans. Uh, So we actually stayed in Australia and it was really great. Um, We stumbled across the largest sea creature, a siphonophore, is about 45 to 50 meters in length, and so that was like a serendipitous finding. So in October of 2020, we had another surprise discovery. We were doing some systematic mapping off the coast of northeast Australia, so Coral Sea, Great Barrier Reef region. And we found a new coral reef. It's like, you know, a 500-metre-tall coral reef. It's pretty tall. So that was a new discovery. It's the first time something like that's been discovered in about 120 years in that region. And then the same week, we caught the first sighting of what's called a rams horn squid, Spirula spirula, which has never been seen in the wild before, in underwater. Is that a giant no, it's, it's not very big, but what's remarkable is every time it has been captured and it's in captivity, it swims the other way around every single time. And this is the first time scientists had seen it swim in its natural habitat and it swims the other way. It's like upside down. Uh-huh. And so, you know, Quite literally, that one piece of video turned the squid science community on its head, to turn them upside down, because all their theories of how this squid acts in the ocean, it, it because that's what they've seen in the, you know, in captivity, uh-huh. is kind of thrown out of the water, really.
0: <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
1: so so that was a surprise finding. So because the ocean is so vast every time we go down there. There is always something amazing and new, uh-huh. or rarely seen, out there.
0: Wow! Yeah, yeah, very cool. I think I love the water and, and the ocean, but also one of my biggest fears is like being stranded out in the ocean because I would ha- I have no idea what's underneath. I don't know. Is this maybe just a thought in my head?
1: That's okay. There's um there's a word for fear of the ocean. Okay. Um, it's called so because you can't see it. Right. Uh, yeah. That's why, yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah.
1: and um, We also have a, a wonderful artist at sea program. And, oh, uh,
0: right. yeah, I saw that you do. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would you mind explaining more about that? And-
1: yeah, so the artist at sea program is where we bring an artist on board to sail with the scientists. Uh So they can learn about the science that's going on. They spend, you know, whatever amount of time. It could be a two-week cruise. It could be one month long. Really learning and interpreting the science in their own way and through art. And so we now have a collection of different pieces of art ranging from, you know, paintings and photography to knitting to sound based art so it's a program that has been going on for a few years now it's a way of reaching um audiences and reaching uh public who may not read the science uh, but would appreciate the art uh, right
0: yeah and to make it more accessible yeah i, I think now there's a lot of uh, integration of both the humanities and sciences to try to blend both fields together in, in a lot of projects so yeah, that's that's very cool because I do data science work now, um, but prior to that, I I studied music.
1: So oh, perfect!
0: It's, it's, it's really cool to you know hear hear about these things. So, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned over your career? It could be at the Schmidt Institute or anywhere else.
1: So, one of the things that I've faced repeatedly is perseverance. Uh-huh. Uh, so. You start off thinking, this is how things are going to go. And then something happens Uh, and, and you shouldn't get disheartened. You know, I've had some big setbacks, but just break down what the steps are. I I think if you're facing a mountain to climb, just break it down into small steps and take the first and take the next. And eventually you'll get to the other side. And so, for example, when I was doing my PhD, I lost my four or five years' worth of data in, you know, and work, uh, and I had to kind of restart—not quite, but kind of. So it took me a long time to get my PhD, longer than some of my colleagues, but I did get it. And um, but during the way, I learned so much more. I learned so much that it set me up for afterwards where I had, I came out of my PhD with all this additional experience and and knowledge. So I could have quit, you know, after, after losing that many years of work through no fault of my own, but so, yes, so just, you know, when things look rough, there's just don't panic. Just, you know, take a deep breath and, uh, and persevere.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I totally agree. I think, those points where you're at a crossroad are such defining moments because I personally think they they, they set habits um, and, and they like mentally set habits into sort of your decision-making and, and how you will build as a person. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's really generous of you to, to share that. So would you say these lessons that you've learned, um, a lot of them are through your own personal experiences or would you say you've also had the influence of like mentors or sort of people in your life who have uh, helped guide and navigate you when
1: yeah I've had a lot of good people surrounding me during the especially during those times so for example the PhD example I just gave is you know a lot of your audience as students you know my PhD advisor was very much like okay, here are some other options for you to think about and consider and what do you think about this? And instead of saying, well, that's it, it was really a collaborative, you know, encouraging environment to to keep moving forward in. Another example is with the pandemic. That's Mm. a recent example where many research vessels, many vessels around the world were pulling into port, you know, in the early days to, to basically wait it out. Yeah, And we instead pulled together the team and worked through it one day by day. There were some days where it was hour by hour that things were changing, but just working through it together and yeah. uh, with the same end goal and, yeah, persevere. And we found some great things in the ocean. So I'm glad we managed to do that.
0: Yeah. So when, when you pull your team together, do you think you lead with sort of big picture approaches or are you more of a sort of detail-oriented uh, or a mix of both, depending on the situation? I
1: think it's both. I think you need to have a big picture that everyone's, you know, aiming towards. Yeah. But I think um, things can go awry if you don't pay attention to the details.
0: Yeah. What would you say for... You know, students who are interested in working in this field, what are some important uh, qualities or skills that they would have to either build towards or, or embody to be successful?
1: I think this is an amazing time to be in oceanography. I think this next 10 years with the ocean. Uh, decade and the focus on ocean sciences means there's a lot of energy and a lot of resources being put into oceanography i think the other reason it's great to be in oceanography right now is because of the technology uh we're undergoing this fourth industrial revolution or technology revolution if you like and technology is because is allowing us to access the ocean it's it's kind of like exploring a new planet right it's unknown it's new discoveries and the technology is really allowing us to do that so I think for those two reasons alone it's really great to be in oceanography at the moment it's a life of adventure of travel you get to see things that very few people on the planet really get to see and experience and and what you do is you you're helping everyone Mm-hmm. Like The ocean is such a, a large portion of our livelihoods and our lives and what makes us all live on this planet. But then I think the other thing about oceans is it's an, it's a very difficult place to work. And you made the analogy earlier between ocean and space. It's a really difficult place to work. So I think even if you work in oceanography to start with, there's always other planets in the future as well. So
0: Yeah, oh, that's... That was very interesting to think about. We hope you enjoyed these highlights as much as we did. Mapping the seafloor is a fundamental step that would lay the foundation for a new age of marine discovery. Examples such as how the ram's horn squid spirula swims in the wild not only urges researchers to re-examine current theories of this animal, but build upon this mysterious world in the ocean. Being in the context of a research university, I'm really grateful at how the exponential growth in computation power and data has provided researchers a dynamic edge in our analysis and overall decision making. Industry 4.0 will no doubt usher in a wave of advancements such as AI, robotics and genomic editing, but it will be ocean exploration and research that builds towards our sustainable future. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and in the comments. Or write to us at podcast at longitude.site. We would love to hear from you. Join us next time for
1: more unique insights on Longitude Soundbites.